0: we are live! Hello, hello! Welcome everybody, welcome to another episode of Quick Brews. I'm Katie. I'm Vicky. And you have joined us for a very exciting episode. It's a follow-up on one of our previous ones. I'm not going to steal Vicky's thunder by telling you what it is, but... What I am going to tell you is a little bit about Quick Brews and Strong Tea that you're listening to. Now, if you haven't heard us before, which we hope you have if you're listening to part two, but Strong Tea is a podcast that was born out of a love about talking about things that matter, important topics which people tend to stick their head in the sand over, things that people might find taboo or controversial. And we have covered so many, so many wonderful topics. Oh. And this is is no exception. So before I let Vicky tell you about the episode and before I introduce our wonderful guest today, I want to know what we're all drinking. So Dr. Tom, because that's what we're going to call you. Tom doesn't quite (laughs) cut it. Dr. Tom, what are you drinking today?
1: So uh, my drink today is the epitome of being a student. I've still got a few weeks of being a student so um, I'm allowed to do that. So I, I, this year I've done a few talks to prospective medical students over the country, um, so I've had to stay in little hotels, little travel lodges. And I have this thing that I do every time I go to a little travel lodge where, you know, all the complimentary teas you get in your rooms. Um, I like to hoard them and stock up on them to I mean I don't have to buy my own tea bags. And at breakfast, I'll always nick a few more. And if anyone asks, I'll ask for a tea bags. Um, so I've got a whole drawer of travel lodge tea bags. So I'm drinking home brand travel lodge tea this morning.
2: They do their oh. own tea,
1: yeah. That yeah, it was just yeah.
2: Good grief, sinister. I did not know that. <laughs> How does it taste?
1: Um, it's, it's all right. It, it will do. It, it tastes cheap. <laughs> Possible.
2: <laughs> oh no, we
0: can't have that. We can't. No, I
2: need. To, I need to send you some Yorkshire tea, Tom. I tell
1: you what, I'll, I'll treat
2: you. I'll treat you. <laughs> do you like a? Do you like a
0: herbal tea?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah.
0: Any? Uh, any favorites?
1: Um. I, I like the peppermint ones.
0: Mm.
1: Um, I think wh- when I start getting paid, I might, I might start getting the peppermint season.
0: Splash out, yeah, <laughs> I like it. Maybe a premiere
2: in, eh?
1: Eh? yeah, yeah, eh? potentially going <laughs> <laughs> up in the world.
2: <laughs> uh, Vicky, what have you splashed out on today? Because I know how the last episode went, I'm on coffee. So I'm on. It's a really weird concoction, and I'm kind of regretting it now. It's a caramel cookie, espresso coffee, but with coconut milk. Yeah, I went I went too too much. It was it's it's all right. It's doing the it's doing the business, but it just tastes a bit funky. So are you, like, you? are you super fired up now? I'm getting there.
0: Yeah. See I had my palms are sweaty. Morning. A M M&M. M. Palms oh. are sweaty. Oh, nice. Mum spaghetti. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um I have gone for um so Neil bought me some uh different teas for Mother's Day and he bought me tea pigs, breakfast pancakes. Oh nice. Oh my God. It's actually better. You know my T2 New York breakfast tea that I love. It's actually discontinued so you can
2: say what you like.
0: <laughs> yeah, screw you taking your tea to Australia. I'm gonna have this instead <laughs> and it's better. Um so yeah, it's actually really, really yummy. And uh, I'm just yes. gonna sit here quietly
2: and enjoy it. So you okay, can crack okay. on telling us about the episode and then I'll introduce Dr. Tom. Okay, okay. So if you haven't listened to the first part of this episode, which was euthanasia, part one, this is part two. And just to give out some trigger warnings at the moment. Um, so we will be talking about death. We will be talking about terminal illness and dying. Some listeners may find content offensive, um, but whatever we say, we're all learning together. Um, although our opinions are our own, some of this is expressed through facts and statistics that we'll share um so yeah just we're all learning through this together and as part of the strong ethos this is a taboo topic um and we will handle it as sensitively as we can
0: we absolutely will
2: we absolutely will so if you listen to the first part you will know that the euthanasia debate between myself and katie went full full whack um and we were so (laughs) desperate to continue the discussion that we thought let's get an expert in
0: (laughs) absolutely what a segue what a segue there tom right <laughs> yes this brings us to our lovely um doctor who we have with us today um dr tom is actually my cousin so i have tapped into that uh that link up there and i will be making the most of it <laughs> but Um, Tom is in his final year as a medical student um, at Leicester University and is in the last few weeks of training. And you've got your exams coming up, if I remember rightly, Um, has a special interest in rheumatology and care of the elderly. Um, And as as, as far as I've been informed by your lovely mother, you've been absolutely smashing it as you go. (laughs) So fun fact about Dr. Tom as well is that he plays basketball in his spare time and really has no choice in the matter because he's six foot five.
2: Oh, yes. So you're ready for netball as well? Just saying.
1: There, there is a charity netball tournament at university, which I, I, I always very much enjoy. Do you
2: think cheating? Having
0: someone that can just basically just pop it into the basket.
1: Yeah, it is quite easy. I can't lie.
0: <laughs> you <laughs> mustn't even need to jump, really. <laughs>
1: no, no, it's it's nice and easy. That's sport <laughs> Fair enough.
0: That's uh yeah, that's that's definitely a way to use your hype for sure. Um so yeah, Dr. Tom has thankfully um agreed to join us to really discuss things from a medical point of view. Um that's personal opinions as well as actually how things are seen through the NHS, how things are seen, you know, within the medical profession and, you know, what the sort of impact of this government bill that's being passed will have. So we're going to come on to Tom's thoughts shortly, but Vicky is just going to recap of the definitions because we talked last time about... differences between euthanasia and assisted suicide and how the how because it's the language is quite confusing within Mm. this topic
2: so vicky if you want to recap the definitions for us for sure yeah so assisted dying has two main elements as you said euthanasia and assisted suicide and the main difference between euthanasia and assisted suicide is who actually performs or administers the process to end the person's life So euthanasia is the active approach to end someone's life, to stop their suffering. And the final deed is undertaken by someone other than the individual, so for example, a doctor. So if the person concerned has requested this, this is called voluntary euthanasia. Now assisted suicide is about helping someone to take their own life at their own request. In other words, the final deed is undertaken by the person themselves. But a doctor or a medical practitioner will provide the syringe or, or you know, the, the, the solution or formula and the individual will inject or press the button themselves. Both euthanasia and assisted suicide are illegal under English law. Uh, where it is uh, legal for euthanasia is Australia, Colombia, New Zealand, Belgium, Luxembourg, Spain, Canada and Netherlands. And Switzerland is not on this list um, as it's not legalized active euthanasia but it is legal for assisted suicide and we'll come on to the um, requirements and you know for it for putting your name forward and for being considered for euthanasia and uh, assisted suicide a little bit later.
0: I think what Vicky and I have discovered after doing the last episode is this is to call it a hot topic is almost kind of a bit disrespectful because it's such an important topic but it is so hot right now because of the government bill that is trying to be passed and doing this episode prompted a lot of comments from guests and a lot of for and a lot of against and a lot of really relevant arguments so it was really important for us to revisit this and talk about things in a little bit more depth and that's why we have Dr Tom here. So I'm going to pass the baton over um and before we get on to things from I suppose a medical point of view and an official capacity <laughs> how do you personally feel about euthanasia and having the right to choose
1: okay so firstly I'd just like to say thank you for having me on um I I had a listen to a few of your, few of your episodes um especially the euthanasia one and it's absolutely fantastic and really really informing so thank you um with, with regards to this, this, then, so I fully believe in euthanasia um, and would absolutely love for it to be a part of the healthcare system in the UK. Um, and I think for me, it's from a personal standpoint where I've seen suffering in hospital. Um, I'll always think back to this one patient I saw a couple of years ago that had metastatic cancer, um, and it had unfortunately spread to their spine. And they were just in absolute agony. They had shooting pains down both legs. Um, they couldn 't get out of bed they couldn 't go to the toilet. they were in so much pain that they didn 't want to eat food. They felt sick all the time and uh, that that will always stick with me because I just feel like that patient should have the choice to not suffer. They clearly had no enjoyment left in life and yeah that that one will always stick with me um, so that that 's where I am from a personal standpoint however i I am aware of the complications and the problems that can come with it um And I think the main one for me would be surrounding family abuse um, of euthanasia. And by that, I mean, obviously, caring for a family member uh, who's terminally ill can be extremely draining, um, whether it's financially or just the time you have to put into it. And obviously, from my point of view, I'd be more than happy to put that time in. But I can see how it can be really hard for some people um, and therefore, it would almost be tempting to manipulate that person and make them feel like a burden and can kind of push them to that euthanasia standpoint. Um, And I I can just see how that is quite dangerous and quite a a tricky, a tricky line. Um, What what do you two think about that point there?
0: I, I think it's interesting. You've said that because I think Vicky and I touched on this last time and we both said, well, we're nice people we can't ever Mm. imagine doing that and it's weird to think that someone would abuse the system like that but I can definitely see what you're saying because there are issues out there with that um I think we'll obviously come on to this later but I think we touched on the absolute ideal of being able to have a process for euthanasia and working out if that person was of the correct mental capacity and assessing them socially and medically and mentally and establishing mm. their support at home and working out if this was actually genuinely something that they wanted. But it's it I think that's a pipe dream, to be honest. Um mm. and I think that's a real shame. But I it certainly opened my eyes to think about it. It wasn't something that I readily thought that would be an issue because it's not the way that I would think. But I suppose I do want to let you uh, answer this, Vicky, but before (laughs) I forget my question, um, I don't know if you picked up on the last episode because we were talking and Neil and I had this discussion and Neil said, yeah, but what if I was terminally ill and Freddie had to look after me when he was older and it stopped him from going to university? He might be ready and willing to not go to university and look after me, but... I would feel like a burden on him. So it kind of can flip around the other way. You know, someone could be ready and willing to take care of that person, Mm. but that person then thinks, I don't want to stop them living their life. So then is that a good thing to choose because of that reason? Or Mm. I know I said this a lot in the first episode, because I've re-listened to it like three times. I'm like, man, I say grey area a lot. (laughs) (laughs) But Vicky, you take over. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I completely agree. And I think the family pressure was one of the one of the things that I thought of as well. And the complete opposite. If you don't have family there and you're on your own and you don't have that support system, mm. then you're going to feel more pressure to look at that option as well because there is no one there to look after you. Um, if we're going to bring financial into it, you know, you can't afford a carer to come in and look after you. So mm. I think family is a massive kind of catalyst in having euthanasia or assisted suicide as an option there.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think it, it's, it's really tricky, as you said, it's such a grey area. And I don't actually have any ideas around how you can no. fix that. Um, there, there, there was also, the, the other thing that came into my mind with this was kind of where where is the, the cutoff? You, you mentioned this, the, the way I picture in an ideal scenario is um, a terminally ill patient with a couple months left to live. Um, and it stops their suffering that's kind of the ideal scenario um but then you've got who else is allowed to do this for example the mental health patients um and the the mental illnesses is something i find really tricky to think about um and the reason is because when compared to a terminal illness generally mental health illnesses are more reversible obviously not in all cases but Mm. that they they tend to be slightly more reversible and i'd feel like society has let these mentally ill patients down if, if we give them the option to um, take up euth- euthanasia because it, it feels like we haven't given them everything we can. Um, and I think especially in the UK right now where the the mental health services are completely inadequate and you've got patients waiting years to get the correct therapy, um, it kind of feels like we we couldn't include the mental illnesses in this yet. Before we've given them absolutely every drug we can possibly give and every therapy we can possibly give,
2: I think this is the slippery slope. Because when you, I mean, yeah, by looking at it on a case by case basis, but where does? Because if you've got someone who is doesn't want to be here, is you know attempting to take their life over and over and over and over again, and does not want to be here,
1: yeah,
2: what do we then do? And it, it's you know where does duty of care between for one condition end and the other begin? And I guess now is a good time to explain what the um, what the laws are, and they do vary with country to country. But the requirements for assisted dying mostly includes um, that they have an advanced disease that's expected to cause death within six months or within twelve months of neurodegenerative diseases like motor neurone disease. Um, And that's causing the person unacceptable suffering or terminal or non-terminal, but grievous and incurable conditions. And it can include mental illness as well. Um, And the individual has to be uh, able to make a decision voluntarily um, and be able to communicate that to the doctor that they want to um, go through with assisted dying. So it's (laughs) it's a gray area, but it is a slippery slope as to what you say is acceptable as terms for euthanasia and what isn't acceptable terms and how do you do that in a system that could be potentially flawed mistakes being made administrative mistakes you know that that kind of thing because we're all human at the end of the day
0: yeah. it's interesting you mentioned there and tom you might be able to shed a bit more light on this because i don't know how it how this disease progresses but if someone has like Vicky's just suggested their uh degenerative diseases such as motor neuron disease if someone has that and they're told you know it you, you're going to degenerate over time and it could lead to death I I kind of having the conversation with several people about this and I said if I got told I was going to have this Happened to me over time. I don't think I'd want it to get to the point where it was that bad that I was in care. I would want to live to the point where I felt I could fully enjoy my life. And then when I started to feel the impacts, I would then want to be able to make that decision. I wouldn't want to get to 12 months before they thought I would die. And it was so bad to the point where I had to wait to get to that point. Because some people surely. Just want to live their life and don't want the people around them to see them go down that path. I don't know how how long is something like a, a disease like is that like how long's a piece of string?
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. But motor neuron disease is actually a, a good example. There, there are a few types, so that I'm just thinking about one type. But um, often it can be quite a quick um, disease to progress. Like in a couple of years, it, you can really go downhill. Um, so when you're diagnosed, you do generally get given that timeframe. Um, but I, I, think it's really interesting that how you said you, you wouldn't want your loved ones to see you, um, at that end stage. And, uh, just, a just a quick story about that, which, uh, really fits with that is there was this one patient who, um, had severe, um, liver cancer. And, um, I don't know if you know, but one of the symptoms you can get with that is become completely jaundiced. Um, so you go completely yellow and, um, she, she'd been married to her husband for 50 years or so and when when it came to her last few days she went completely jaundiced and she didn't want her husband to see her like that so she didn't actually let him in the room in the last mm-hmm. few days because she was she wanted her husband to have memories of her what she was like at her best
0: oh, um it's so kind of that
1: balance yeah. is it um yeah, but yeah I do yeah
0: I mean, you must have been in a situation, well, you must have been in many situations where you've watched people go through uh, like a painful end, really. Yeah. The 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 way we so we discussed it on the original episode where we talked about the government bill that's looking to be passed at the moment, it's currently in the House of Lords, that doesn't actually give doctors the chance to assist patients. Mm-hmm. It's actually, here's a bunch of drugs, off you go. And there's so much room for error there. How do you feel about that as the government's way of answering this problem?
1: That's really, yeah, because I, I heard you talking about that in the last episode. I find it really interesting. Um, I I, I, th- I think it's a shame because you'd, you'd yeah, you, you'd think if you're taking that step, you you'd want the medical professionals around you to help you along the way and know if something goes wrong, you've mm-hmm. got someone there who knows how to um yeah kind of, kind of deal with it. So I, it it does feel like a cop-out. I'm not sure the reasoning for it, whether it's a financial reason or kind of a legality reason. Um but it it, it does feel like a real shame. I, I know if I if I was suggesting to my patient, well not suggesting but if I was supporting my patient in making that decision, uh, I'd want to be there with them as they go through it. Um, so yeah it, it's a shame if that is how they if, if that's how they proceed with it
2: you mentioned there about being with your patient and that kind of end of life care Mm. one of the biggest questions i'm probably leaping ahead but this was one of the things that because i was all for euthanasia until i did all the research and this one came up and i thought oh hang on yeah this this is a sticky sticky one basically if if it does go ahead and that you know we are allowing that assisted dying option do you think that's going to have an impact on palliative and end of life care because you know there is only so much funding to go around will Mm -hmm. there be as so much as much necessity to look at particular cancer drugs to alleviate pain you know all those kind of things that doesn't cure it but just assists and prolongs Mm -hmm. do you see what i mean because if euthanasia is an option then you know what what are your thoughts on that yeah
1: so when i when i listened to your episode on that I, i was thinking about this for days because i i didn't I don't have the correct answer for it that my, my overall opinion was actually that palliative care would be greatly improved with it. And uh, that's because it, it provides that extra, um, that extra option to patients. And uh, yeah, I, I, I really do believe it, it would add to it. Um, and, and to be honest, I think it would also relieve some pressure from the palliative care team. It's, it's a sad way to look at it, but it, it would, it would relieve some patients from that team. And I think that the patients that really want to go down the palliative care route and live as long as possible, I think they'd have more energy going into them Um, because obviously with the NHS, we know how stretched it is. Um, So I, the way I saw it was, it would, it would really add another dimension to it and improve palliative care. Um, I I do completely take your point about the funding. Um, And I, I don't know the, the figures and how much money adding euthanasia would cost um but yeah that 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 was my opinion i also think palliative care is um i I actually think i'll have a job in it next year i've just applied for it today actually um but there's there's a lot more to it than kind of um treating and looking into drugs so i think it wouldn't actually disrupt the kind of finding cancer cures and stuff i think that's a slightly different section to palliative Mm -hmm. care itself um so yeah, I, I hope that makes sense. That's my. Opinion. Do you think there'd
2: be more pressure though? So if, um, okay. so if if euthanasia was an option for people who are looking at end of life, and potentially you know they do want to see it out to the end, but actually there's this option and is it best? Is it? Do you think there would be pressure for individuals to take that option?
1: I I, I would definitely worry about that. Yeah. Do Do you mean the patients themselves? Pressure. Yes.
2: The yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, this is again. It kind kind of goes back to that family thing, and I just, um, as you mentioned, Katie, if you if you felt like you were disrupting your family or holding your loved ones back, I think you would really feel that pressure, even if mm. you did. If even if you did actually have some things to live for, mm. um, so yeah, I, I would definitely be concerned about that.
0: It's it's interesting, isn't it? One of the questions that uh, both Vicky and I asked in this original one, of course. Neither Vicky or I are medical professionals. Not sure if you know, um, <laughs> but we—I I looked up at this and thought, well, surely this goes against everything in the Hippocratic Oath, which is to preserve life. I don't know what the what the wording and things are, but it's to protect people, isn't it? And to make them better yeah. again, I suppose, in layman's terms. So, and it seems like from Vicky looked at the stats last time, and it looked like the—I um, can't remember British, Brit- British medical. The royal
2: college of physicians
0: yeah and they kind of were very much like they used to be way against it and now it's like oh we're kind of sitting on the fence so for those mm. of you that do support it does it go against the hippocratic oath and everything you're trained to do mm.
1: so again this is a really really another interesting talking point and i i think when, when you look at the exact text it, it does go against it um and there's there's not really any getting around that. But what what I also think is we we're drilled about some things called the four pillars of ethics. I don't know if you've if you've know much about those, but I, I won't go into all of them. But one of the key things we're taught about the four pillars of ethics is patient autonomy, and we're absolutely drilled into that. Which means that um, patients should have a choice and be really involved um, in decisions about their own care. And I think euthanasia absolutely sums that up, um, that patients have their own choice to um, make these decisions. Um, so I think e- even if it does contradict contradict that, th- there's other parts of medicine which are so, so important and mean so much to doctors and their patients that I think it does counteract it and make it okay, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um,
2: What's your take on regulating and
1: so i yeah I, I had a look at um a few of the systems and the the common one i saw was two medical practitioners so two doctors um and a psychiatrist so I, I actually think that's that's very fair enough you've got two doctors to make sure that this this disease or is terminal and they don't and they've tried the treatments or they they don't have that long to live And then you've obviously got the psychiatric review to make sure the patient has capacity and they can weigh up the pros and cons of this decision and know exactly what what's coming next. So I think as far as I'm concerned, that that is a good way of doing it. I think for me, the really important bit um, comes with the mental health aspect. If we did push it that way, that that this patient has had every opportunity. So they've they've tried different medications. They've tried all these different types of counselling, um, and I was actually speaking to my dad about it the other day, and he um, he came up with the idea of the the mental health patient should should have had at least three months as an inpatient. So I, I've I spent six weeks on psychiatry on the inpatient wards, and it's basically twenty four hours surveillance, doctors every day, really getting the best care possible. And I I think that would be a good idea for the mental health cases to make sure that they've had that absolutely all the. All of the things we can give them to make them better. So I think that would be a key part for me.
0: One of the one of the statistics that we talked about in the last episode was that terminally ill patients in the UK last year, according to uh, Dignity in Dying um, website, said that between four and six hundred people every year who are terminally ill take their own lives, mm. and. Um, trigger warning for anyone listening to this is does discuss suicide as well but we talked about it in the original episode it's not just people taking overdoses it's it's much more you know they're all severe forms but you know it's it's more heavily physical forms of of suicide um we talked about the provision for this and it kind of feels like because there were Hell of a lot more attempts at suicide, which had failed for these people. We're talking in the thousands. Now, also looking at the government bill where they say, you know, if we pass this, we'll give you a bunch of drugs and you can go and do it yourself. It seems like, you know, if the government are trying to save money or cut corners, like we talked about last time, the fact that people are attempting suicide and failing puts an even bigger stretch, surely on the NHS. It's not just the NHS, it's the police, it's all the other services that are required. And I'm not saying we should just allow euthanasia to, you know, to make it easier. But I just think if there's that many people out there who are trying to do this and failing, we we are severely failing as a country to offer people something which they so desperately want. And to do it in the right way as well, and I think I know I don't know really know if I'm making a point or asking a question here, Um, but it just feels like there's a huge hole in this for terminally ill patients. There's too much of a grey area for what terminal means. What why should this be allowed, and how it's done, and it all feels like it should be a lot more straightforward and I know it's hard because it's allowing people to die but why is this so difficult?
1: Yeah I, I, I couldn't agree more and it is it's just devastating isn't it and um, I, I watched a, a video on the BBC website about this and it was uh, this patient was telling their story and um, they they basically let their family know they, they were advocating for euthanasia and they they told their family that if, if this isn't passed I'm, I'm going to kill myself somehow um but obviously you it's it's illegal for the family to help you so this person then had to end their own life away from their family completely alone not not in a nice well controlled environment and it's it's just so sad that that happens when you're absolutely certain that no matter what happens I'm going to end my life it's Uh. just dreadful that we can't support that um and it's it's got to eat up the whole entire family for, for the rest of their lives that that person died alone and without them without their loved ones it 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 really is devastating thinking about it like that
2: I mean the very nature of how they're going to bring it in Katie with what you're saying is how on earth are they going to regulate that the individual is actually administering it themselves you know you could end up with these drugs and it could be given to someone else you know if it is just a you know a give and forget approach you know and by the way if anyone helps you they'll be done for murder it has got abuse written all over it you know the potential to, for this not only to go wrong but wrong on catastrophic scales you know that people selling it on or you you can just see it coming
1: just out of interest do you two do you have thoughts on why the government are going down that route as opposed to um like letting medical professionals aid aid, aid patients in doing this
2: I th- i'm really I th- cynical <laughs> I just thought it was a money saving exercise. I'll be honest.
0: I you know. You know, go on, carry on. No, go on. No, I was just gonna say I kind of feel that it's a it's a real um cop-out, if I'm honest. I think they are just not necessarily in terms of the money, but they're almost washing their hands of these people because they're saying, All right, okay, you want the right to die, okay, here's a bunch of drugs, off you go. And they're just letting it happen rather than, I think, if if someone, like you said, has been appropriately assessed with two physicians and a psychiatrist and they genuinely want to die because they are, like you talked about your patient who was suffering so horrifically, why should that person then have to go through something on their own which could go so horrifically wrong because the government can't follow through and say okay do you know what we need specialist NHS clinics we need to give our doctors in hospitals the rights to be able to do this and I don't know if I'm speaking out of term by saying this but we talked about a scenario last time where um there have been several scenarios when we were researching this where we talked to certain people and we said oh this happened in hospital and you kind of get the impression that doctors helped it along anyway so I don't know if it's happening and it's just the sort of thing that no one talks about because it's just like, we're not allowed to do it, but we know what's best for our patients Mm -hmm. or, you know, I don't know why, why the government are taking away that, right. Like, you know, your patients, you're sitting there with them day in, day out, you know, how much they're suffering, you know how Mm -hmm. much their family are suffering. They tell you well they want to die. Why isn't it allowed?
1: Yeah. And uh, you, you, you are right on that point. And, there's a very similar thing in hospital where you it's just withdrawing care so if the the treatment isn't working and more treatment would be of detriment to the patient for example more chemotherapy is just adding pain to their lives you can just withdraw care not not treat them anymore and it it really is the same concept isn't it it's just withdrawing the care that's keeping them alive and kind of yeah it's really tricky from my perspective because I don't really see it as that different you're still doing what's best for the patient in that case um, so yeah I, I do agree I think it is a bit of a cop-out and I, I think they're also a little bit scared to kind of open up the bag of worms almost they're a bit worried that as soon as you um, allow some patients to have euthanasia then I think they're a bit worried about all the things that comes with it and all the different questions which is a great shame.
0: In terms of you talk there about um, medical terminology it's I just want to see what it actually means when you said about withdrawing care mm-hmm. is that stopping forms of invasive treatment and making the patient as comfortable as possible because what what happens if someone is suffering and dying and you take away um the treatment and you still give them pain relief is that just prolonging the inevitable or is that allowing them to die just slowly
1: yeah it it, it is a really tricky one and obviously i'm 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 still at the right, at, right. I've got exams in ten days, so I'm I'm almost there. I'm almost allowed to talk. This about It's good
0: revision but... <laughs> for you.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I, I think that the way I think about it is, is for example, someone that's um, in a coma after a, a road traffic accident and they're are brain dead. So they're they you, you can keep them alive on the life machine, but then you 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 take away the life machine and that stop that kind of kills them, yeah. doesn't it? So it's I think it's that. I see it as a similar thing, mm. almost like that. Um, that that wasn't the best answer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I'm just trying. I'm just trying to think about you know if you withdraw care, and so say for example, you use the chemotherapy example. So you stop chemotherapy on a cancer patient, and they're yeah. given, I don't know, two months left to live, but they're so ill they need to stay in hospital. Yeah. And they've said they've expressed a wish they want to die you've withdrawn the care and you're making them as comfortable as possible but if that patient has said I want to die but then the government is saying no you have to keep that patient alive for the next two months and again I mean this in the best possible way but that person is in a bed in hospital they don't want they don't want to suffer anymore Mm. so I know it's an ethical standpoint but giving people what they want and the right to be able to make that decision. And we've seen so many stories in the news about people who are campaigning for it, where they are so ill that they're just like, please just let me die. And the government Mm -hmm. sat in their ivory tower saying, no, you can't do that because we don't think it's right. It Mm -hmm. it just, it's beggars belief, I think.
2: It's difficult, isn't it? Because if we look at case by case basis, we can see things like Alzheimer's, dementia, you know they, they, you know your patient on before mm-hmm. it's it's easy to say yeah they they absolutely do deserve the right to end their life you know they're in an imme- unimaginable pain we need to let them go they want to go and i you know i'm playing devil's advocate here but you know from the government's point of view it's not a one size fits all and that's a problem to them because how do you write a policy or law for euthanasia that is going to be right for every single person and the answer is you can't you know you, you can't and I think from my point of view there would be so much to change so the NHS is struggling in certain areas so we're going to lump this on which is going to cause a ripple effect of other services and you know other laws and things that have been in place for you know hundreds of years hundreds of years because you know that's how we roll we rarely update things and so it's going to be a massive deal. So if this mm. gets signed in, it's going to be another Brexit. There's going to be things that come out the woodwork that we haven't actually thought about. Mm. That's not going to allow that case by. So I, I can understand their point of view of if we did it case by case basis, will be you know people will be gone naturally before we've even got to their case. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah, it does, and I. I But When you put it like that, I can see why the government probably don't want any part of it, because Mm. they're they're bound to upset people and it's bound to bring up really tricky conversations. Um, It's kind of just a shame that there's not more humanity to their thoughts, because when you break it down and um, go go by cases, you you can see how there shouldn't really be an argument to it It, when you you talk about individuals, but I can completely understand why it's not within the government's interest to really push for this, Mm. because it's just getting themselves in tricky conversations
0: i wonder if they've just sort of almost dehumanized the whole conversation and it's just a right to die rather than saying well this is john he's 48 and look how ill he is and he Mm. wants to die because his body is wasting away Mm. rather than just saying oh you know people who want the right to die and that case by case and you talked about patient Mm. autonomy and I'm sure you are taught to take each and every patient mm-hmm. as an individual. Do you think in terms of if this was something which was allowed, um, do you believe that it should be down to palliative care doctors? Do you think it could be it should be available to any doctor that's in a medical setting? Do you think? We would need specialist clinics. How do you? How would you see it playing out in an ideal scenario? Really, I guess.
1: Uh, yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. Um, but palliative care doctors are the absolute best of it. I had a few few weeks of placement with them, and they're absolutely fantastic. So I'd I'd like to see them leading it. Um, but but I also could see G- GPs being able to give their input. I think GPs you 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 tend to be with the same patient you see lots of the same patient obviously with them coming back and forth i think you build up a quite a good relationship with them um I, I was on gp for probably a couple of months in my in my years as a med student and i'd see patients repeatedly so i can see how you you get really close and good relationships with them so i'd, I'd like to see gps be able to have input there as well um but but you're right about the the special clinics i could definitely see that that working. there should be a a whole portion of the hospital which is which would enable that with specialized clinics and nurses who specialize it um that again that's in an ideal world um people struggle to get a gp appointment at the moment so yeah
2: <laughs> yeah so i don't know where this question is going to go so bear with me because it's, it's in my head i don't know how it's going to come out of my mouth so i oh, love on. these ones that she does <laughs> <laughs> they can come out quite 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 weird so here we go so I guess my question following on from that is, you know, NHS doctors are already under a lot of pressure, you know, whether that's through making really difficult decisions. And I mean, you know, really difficult decisions as well as the paperwork, the hours they work and so on and so forth. Is this extra layer going to cause a stress like no other, including things like PTSD, that whole, you know, moral integrity because remember there are religious implications to this as well there are some religious groups that are very anti-euthanasia and assisted dying and not only that do you think that it's giving doctors too much power
1: yeah that that is a fantastic question I'll I'll break that into two so I'll put the religious um bit to the side for the moment make sure (laughs) I remember to talk about that because that's also very interesting (laughs) Uh, so that the first bit was okay um yeah, so I, I think for, for a lot of doctors, it, it would um, greatly benefit our care and and make us very happy that we have the option to get this because I've, I've seen how caring the majority of these doctors are and it it would be such a nice... In my opinion, it, it's such a nice way to be able to finish someone's life like that, if that makes sense. you, you They've done everything they want to do in life and you, you can give them this option and prevent their suffering. And I think that will really add, add mm. to doctors' careers. I know, I know for me, that would be a, a fantastic option if, if I do go down the palliative care route to be able to provide to patients. Um, however, I, I think there is an aspect of doctors nowadays that everyone's so worried about getting sued. And I think, for example, some GPs wouldn't like that option because it, mm. it, it, you could see how that could, just an absolute minefield for getting sued. Um, so I, I I think for a lot of people like, like myself, I, I'd love it and I'd love to have that that option to stop suffering. But I can see how some GPs wouldn't like, not, not just GPs, but some doctors wouldn't like that option because of the potential problems that can come with it. Um, and yeah, I, I've seen loads of different doctors through my years and some are fantastic and, and some kind of just wouldn't want that extra stress that comes with it. Um, with, with the religious aspect, I think that's really interesting. Um, and, and I think the, where I'd compare it to there is that I know for a fact that, that you get doctors that don't believe in abortion and things like that. And although that seems crazy to me to be anti-abortion, they, they still you're still trained to do your job and you've got a set of guidelines that you have to stick by and you can't let your personal bias come in. So I I don't believe the religious aspects would would be a problem
0: there. It's interesting, Vicky. You asked that question, and within that um, uh, monologue that you gave there, you said about <laughs> the, the
2: monologue.
0: <laughs> Sorry, um, I, well, it was like a long question, so I was trying to pick bits out of it. But you said about the mental health aspect, mm. which I thought was really interesting because I I wonder if it would impact more for you, Tom, if you had to watch a patient suffer that you couldn't, I know you can do things medically to give them pain relief, but to watch them suffer, and their family suffer, and not really be able to do what they want, or ending a life, the impact of that, even if that's what they want, that's still quite a big thing to be taking on. Do you think the mental impacts either way, you know, they're both just as hard as each other.
1: Um, I, Again, f- fantastic question. I, I think personally for me, it would be much harder to watch people suffer. And I, I when I was with this fantastic, fantastic palliative care consultant, he was um, he, he actually had to reduce his hours at work because he'd, he'd find himself. Going into work and then suddenly just having to pull over to the side of the road and just start crying and breaking down because of the stuff you'd seen in hospital, um, and I think, yeah, I, I think the suffering would would top that completely. Uh, undoubtedly, it would be very strange the first the first few people that you you lead to euthanasia. Uh, that that would undoubtedly be a strange feeling. But I think the long term impact of that compared to watching suffering, I, I don't think you could compare.
0: I think what you've just said where you've described that palliative care doctor and the fact that you want to go into that (laughs) is, I think that's, it shows incredible strength. What's made you want to look at that as a sort of specialism and a, and a route to go down?
1: Yeah. So I, I, I've got two: the rheumatology and and elderly care slash palliative medicine. And the, the, the rheumatology is, is from a personal standpoint, it's a nicer lifestyle. There won't be breakdowns there'll be nice working hours no night shifts so that's one of my options and then <laughs> for some reason i've got this interest in palliative care and elderly medicine and for, for me it's so fitting with euthanasia because i completely strongly believe in a good death and I, i'm absolutely convinced about it. you can have a good death um and I, I i'll always remember that the moment i started thinking of it was i was in um a cancer clinic with a patient And it was a wife and a husband. And I I was in the room where she just got diagnosed with um, a a horrible leukaemia, which had spread to her brain. And she had no idea. And I I was in the room where she was told in front of her husband that that basically treatment isn't going to be, there's no point in treatment and it could be as soon as a couple of months. And I remember after that, her reaction was just, I've had a lovely life. I've got a lovely family that love me to pieces, and I've had a, a a beautiful, beautiful life. So I'm gonna see oh. it in a way. And I, I I just remember thinking like there is definitely such thing as a good death, and you can really help patients into believing that and to have a nice end to their life. So that that was the bit that inspired me a couple of years ago, and that's that's why I have an interest in that area. Wow.
2: That's beautiful. That's kind of, Yeah, I don't think. I've only ever heard good death since we started this podcast because we talked to Jane Greyer who's you know a soul doula and yeah that's thank you for telling us that story that's that's really lovely and I'm so yeah I'm, I'm really touched that's kind of gone on to your decision of what you want to do with your career as well that's that's amazing and I think what you said prior to that with doctors having more stress more trauma to deal with in looking after patients than potentially letting them go that's really opened my eyes that's something I've learned from this episode so that's yeah that's going to stay with me from this yeah
1: I'm glad (laughs) yeah
2: I I think it's
0: it's interesting isn't it how when you have a debate like this or a discussion it only highlights that there really is Well, there is a right answer. We know there's a right answer, but Mm. it's not an easy answer, and it is difficult to Mm -hmm. make allowances for everyone.
2: But I have got a question for both of you. okay.
1: Okay.
2: So, if the bill passes, do you think we are in a position to do youth uh, assisted dying properly? I'll
0: let
1: you get that's (laughs) easy. It's a
0: nice (laughs) easy one because I'm going to say no. Because I don't (laughs) think it's the right answer. I don't think that, I think it's a cop-out. I think there's too much room for error. I think it will lead to further suffering because I think people may administer the drugs wrong. People are on their own, like they might be on their own when they do it. And I just think it's a really poor example of trying to do something which could be It could be made a little bit more straightforward. I'm not saying it should be made easy, but there seems to be, there should be a better answer by allowing medical professionals to be able to administer, not easily, but if someone, if they're passing a bill, then surely the process to go through that to get those drugs is going to be the same as if it were to be a medical professional in a medical environment where it was going to be painless and error-free. So no, I don't think that's the right answer. Sorry, um,
1: I, I I couldn't agree more. I, th- I I I I just do not understand why that's the way that they're, they're going down. Um, and and I also think with the the state the NHS is in at the moment that we 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 almost don't don't have another. It it, it seems like we're not in a place right now where we can add another dimension to our care yeah. because mm. doctors are just trying to yeah mentally stay with it i i, I feel like the nhs would need to dramatically improve it before we can add such a huge dimension to our care um yeah.
0: but do you think long term it would actually improve the nhs do you actually think it would impact it in a positive way because you haven't got people and i'm going to use this word in the again in the best possible way but draining the resources who don't want to be draining the resources. They've said quite clearly what they want. Um, and I'm not talking about the ones that sit in that grey area of, you know, family and pressure and all of that. These are the people that say, no, we want to die, but the NHS is forced to keep them alive because it's illegal to do otherwise.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And it's it's not just inpatients that are in, in hospital and, and dying. Um, it's, it's all the nurses that go out to... Uh, people's houses who are terminally on their own houses I, I couldn't agree more it would it, it, it would really release like a, a lot of energy and people we can give into the people that really want this palliative care as opposed to people that don't want it
2: so we're after a shock moment because as Katie said there's always a bit in an episode where there's a stat or something that goes oh <gasps> and I believe you've got something for us
1: yeah I do I I I I have no idea how you you will interpret this, but uh, I've got it anyway. So there was um, a study in Belgium. Um, It was on the BBC website that I got this from. And it was, it took 48 um, people that signed up to the, and got, got approved for euthanasia. So 48 people were going to have, going to be euthanized. And then I think it was in the space of a year, 11 people withdrew their application.
2: Ooh,
0: okay.
1: So, before I say anything, I'll just, uh, I I have no idea what what your thoughts are on that. So, 48 people signed up for it, and 11 people withdrew.
2: Ooh. (laughs) Ooh. That's interesting. Wow. Even Even the dog's shocked. (laughs) I I just... Outraged. 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 Well, outraged. That's, that's quite scary.
1: Yeah.
0: Did it give reasons as to why they pulled out?
1: No, but it did say, I think it was eight of those 11 were still grateful that the option was there and they felt more comfortable that the option was there. That was the only other bit of information that was added.
0: I think that's an interesting point, isn't it? Because I think if people had the option, it might take away some of the pressure. Because if you're thinking... If someone's diagnosed with cancer, I, I guess if I was told I had terminal cancer, that would terrify me and it wouldn't just be the prospect of dying, it would be the prospect of how I was going to die. But if I knew I had the option, if it started to get really severely horrific, where I couldn't, you know, I, I you know, I felt like in horrific pain all the time, knowing I had the option feels like a bit of a comfort. I think it would be knowing that you don't have a choice is you know that it kind of brings brings a bit of a fear factor because you don't know how long you've got to go on like that for in that pain, do you? I I guess that's how I feel personally, Vicky.
2: There are so many thoughts whirling through my head right now. Well, give so us them. A, on a, <laughs> some of them not even relevant to what we talk about. I'm joking. <laughs> um so one of the things that came to mind is when we did our episode with Paul about suicide. And during the research, we kind of explored, you know, the number of people that survived suicide attempts and said they immediately regretted, you know, starting the process of, of trying to take their own life. That came to mind when you said that stat. And I think, should this go ahead, and I don't know if it happens in Canada or, you know, other countries that have got high euthanasia rates, but if someone goes through with that or is on the waiting list and thinks, oh, crap. I've, I've got to go through with it now. The amount of people that may go through with it that actually are reluctant or, you know, and then think about people who are taking up slots who then pull out last minute, which could have been a slot for someone who genuinely wants to, you know, no longer be here. Just, yeah, wow. What what do you think, Tom? When you read that, what did you feel?
1: Yeah, I, I, I don't even have that many thoughts on it. I just, it it just worries me. It mm. It shows you that the... It, there does appear to be something wrong there there's something in the system there which means they haven't got that quite right um but I I do agree with what Katie said that I it, it's nice that the option's there um you, you worded that a lot better than I, I could but it, it it did definitely worry me and it makes me think that potentially they haven't got that system right um, yeah. I, sp-
0: I suppose it's like in a way um You know, when, like, so an episode that we've got coming up, which, again, is going to be massively controversial because we're going to be talking about the death penalty and if the death penalty should be brought back in the UK. And looking at death penalty in America, they have, of course, been issues over over time where innocent people have been killed. That's obviously not the case for a lot of people because they are on death row for such a long time And they go through appeal and appeal and evidence. And now there's much less room for error than there used to be. But I guess if you, there should be a process, and I don't know how long that process should be, but you talked about 48 people signed up for that. And within that year, 11 people pulled out. But I would be assuming that, you know, over the time when someone said, I want to be euthanized, there should be several assessments um you know like okay we're gonna try this route of care and if it doesn't work right in two months time we're going to we're going to do this and then within that gap how how are you finding the treatment going are you feeling any better do you still feel like this and like we've talked about all along the resource that the NHS has available really may not be allowing that number of assessments and keeping on top of someone but it's that it shouldn't just be a case of someone saying I want to die and then yeah that should be what happens it should be a a, you know a process
1: and and what you said there is exactly why I think it it would aid a patient's care so much because you just exactly how you described there how you've given that option but you're you're saying we've got that option later down the line but let's let's try these things in the meantime. These are options other than that. And if it doesn't work, don't worry, we've still got that option. And it, it you said it absolutely perfectly there. And I think that's, that's why it will be so beneficial to patients care to have that option.
2: It needs to be swift, though. Because I know what you're saying is it has to be assessment after assessment after assessment and, you know, leave it a couple of months. But, you know, the criteria in the current laws for those countries is that it's six months to 12 yeah. months. So, the process has to be so swift. So, um, what's the word when it's all sucks Sign- in a row? It's a dead. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, it has to be completely competent, a completely comprehensive, competent, swift process. And then you bring in your stat about you know that many people pulled out last minute. It's yeah. There's just God, and if you've got so that long to sick. think about it, like. You might not have that long. You're in pain through that whole time. I know, That's but you've got to
0: think about the amount of time that the people had who signed up to be euthanized and then they pulled out. Like yeah. they they've had that time to process it. And like, you know, where are they in the process? Whereas you talk about Tom's patient who was in a hospital bed, couldn't get up, couldn't walk. You obviously don't have weeks months or even weeks but it shouldn't be a case of one day they say i want to die it should be like right okay let's do it let's have this chat one day let's assess them the next day and i guess it is that case by case patient autonomy where you have to say what is this patient going through how long have they been like this how long potentially are they going to be like this what level of pain are they in have they got days have they got weeks how do we you know and that's why it's not a straightforward yeah. process
1: yeah because maybe the those 11 people that withdrew they could be for example the motor neuron case where doctors told them likely in 12 months you, you would have deteriorated very poorly and then they could get to nine months and they they just haven't for example so then they withdraw so it so it might not be as bad as it sounds if that makes sense um but yeah
2: still gave me the heebie <laughs> <Very laughs> <right.
1: laughs>
0: interestingly enough though it's it takes us back to the chat we had with joe about multiple sclerosis Mm -hmm. and um i don't know if you've listened to that episode tom but he he was diagnosed um years ago and um he lived several years absolutely like he would describe as sort of normal um and then the doctor changed his meds and he basically became disabled overnight and over the last year He's dropped down, you know, he's a guy in his late thirties. He's dropped down to below seven stone. And he's, you know, a year ago, he said, I was at the point where I wanted to be euthanized. And he said, that's where I was at. And he said, now he started to come out the other side and he's had a little bit of treatment, which has really helped certain things and certain aspects. And he is slowly improving. But like we've Mm. talked about there, you know, if you get someone at that point in their life and they're like, I can't do this anymore. But then there's the potential to get better. It's
2: how do you, yeah, you no.
0: Know, as this could go on forever, can we could do yeah. a part three, part three? Yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think I think for now, what's interesting is that you know the way that euthanasia. We'll wait and see what happens with this bill. But I know we talked about it, Katie. Where at the moment, as it stands, if you want assisted dying, you can only do it if you can afford it. It's only for the rich at the moment who can fly to canada switzerland belgium wherever you want to go so at the moment in the uk if that's what you want to do you've got to have the money to do it mm. so there's also a social economic factor to put into this discussion as well which we could for part three you never know could just be cryogenically,
0: are, cryogenically frozen
2: cryogenically yeah like Walt disney's head apparently that's a myth that's a myth Apparently, that's a
0: myth. <laughs> oh, i didn't even know that i'm gonna have to look that up now yeah
2: um <laughs> Tom we offer all our guests a final sip which is your final thoughts your your whatever you want to share with our listeners or the world um preferably about what we've been talking about but it could be anything (laughs) you know if you've got a special move in basketball you want to share with the world or anything um so yeah Tom over to you what's your final sip? to
1: be honest I think just just talking about all of this is reconfirmed my passion for palliative care yeah i've absolutely loved it and uh thank you very much for having me on i've really really enjoyed it
0: <laughs> we oh hope, we hope you're going to come back tom to talk about yeah. other things um and hopefully you'll uh consider our uh our request to be our resident doctor because you'd be superb at that so um <laughs> I I know Vicky's going to close the show shortly, but what I do want to tell all our listeners about is Tom's fantastic Instagram account, which is called Ward Round with Tom, which we will put on our website, which is Tom talking about all of his experiences and the patients that he deals with and, you know, his life as a student doctor. And now very soon an actual doctor, not (laughs) not an actual doctor now, Dr. Tom. (laughs) So,
2: So Vicky, over to you for the final words. Brilliant. Sorry, I've been distracted because there's a spider living in my microphone. Did you see it before? Yeah, sorry, I've been totally distracted. So there's probably going to be written all over the uh, audio. (laughs) Um, Yes, if you have liked what you've heard today, um, please feel free to buy us a coffee, a tea, a Prosecco. Uh, even a Travelodge tea, which is a brand new one we've never had on the show but before. that's people don't have to buy those. But people that's... don't have to buy those. You just have to go and steal it. Um, yeah. Dr. Tom has said it's okay. Um... <laughs>
0: <laughs> Travelodge are coming for you.
1: That's a lawsuit. are <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <Hopefully> not listening.
2: <laughs> so yeah, if you've enjoyed the show, go onto our supporters page on our website and you'll see all the details on there. Um, you can follow us on Instagram. We've got a Facebook page. If you'd like to hear us talk about a particular topic, get in touch. And if you'd like to be a guest, whether that's to share your journey, your experience, or to come on as Dr. Tom in an expert capacity, or to just share your thoughts, then please do. So without further ado, goodbye from me. Well, it's goodbye from me. Oh, and goodbye from Tom.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And we hope Tom hasn't been scared away and he'll come back again at a later date. (laughs) Not at all, not at
1: all.
0: (laughs) Thanks ever so much, everyone. (laughs) Bye. Bye.